to From Believing to Being, a podcast about pursuing meaningful spirituality after faith deconstruction. We're your hosts. I'm Karen. And I'm Dave. We're two former evangelicals having an ongoing conversation about what life and spirituality look like after letting go of our religious beliefs. Join us as we discuss deconstruction, Christianity, mysticism, enlightenment, and consciousness, And most importantly, how to experience this new way of being in the midst of parenting, careers, and going about our everyday lives. If you've recently left your faith or simply feeling pulled into a deeper way of being, we hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you and really just reassure you that you're not alone on this journey. All right, here we are. Episode three, another crack at this. Uh, just coming fresh off of the Thanksgiving weekend. So maybe still a little tired from the turkey. I don't know. I got my coffee here to keep me awake. So, uh, so let's talk about that. How was, uh, tell me more about how, how Thanksgiving weekend went. Yeah, so our Thanksgiving was really nice. We did most of our prepping on Wednesday, which was great. So Thursday was pretty chill. We just had one friend up from, from Santa Fe and just kind of relaxed and hung out. We don't have any family nearby. So in some ways that's kind of nice. Although I have to say, we just watched that, uh, what is it? The Chevy, Chevy chase Mm. family Christmas vacation movie last night. Nice. And there's this scene where all the family gets together and, you know, everyone's got their own quirks and all that kind of thing. And our kids don't know that they don't have that experience because mm-hmm. I mean, we, we visited family once when they were little, but I don't know. I kind of, I kind of missed that a little bit after watching the movie, just, you know, having the kids be like, Oh, there's, you know, grandma and aunt Sue and whatever, <laughs> but Anyway, how about you guys? What did you do? Yeah, yeah. Like, like we were um, checking in a little bit before we, we hit record, but, um, you know, went to Northern, or Northern, Northern Michigan. Um, just me, uh, my wife, Liz, and our two kids, uh, 18 months old. Uh, so never quite a, uh, a, a pure getaway. Uh, with kids that that age but but still nice I mean it was really quiet up there um so really a, a non-traditional thing right I mean it's kind of same as you right not the not the extended family thing mm-hmm. um you know we did the whole turkey meal which was nice we we got uh, my wife found that Whole Foods does like pre pre-prepared um Thanksgiving meal. So, so we did one of those, which is, you know, it's a little bit more expensive, but it's, it's pretty reasonable. And like, I, I mean, we probably spent an hour maybe total just preparing. I mean, a little bit more time to cook and stuff, but like, or I think you heated up actually the main, the the turkey Uh especially. Um, so it was nice. So it was just kind of relaxing, you know, uh, to get away. And, uh, we got this nice little, like, it was, uh, Airbnb, and nice little cabin in the woods basically which is like our dream to to you know either someday be able to have two houses and have like a main house and then and a cabin in the woods or like just live out there <laughs> you know like <laughs> live with a big plot of land like on the fringes of society or something like that um but yeah it was it was really really nice so we just got back 
yesterday. Um, so kind of just now we're just chilling at home. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been nice uh, to have a few, few days to kind of catch your breath here. How, how far is it from where you are? Like just a couple hours? Uh, a little bit more. So yeah, so I'm in just like the West suburbs of Chicago. So we had to go, um, uh, if you think of Chicago, which is like just on the, um, the, the Western side of Lake Michigan. So you have to kind of go down and around Lake Michigan and kind of wind your way up. Uh, cause we okay. were in North, Northwestern Michigan. So it's probably about five hours to get there. So. How well do your kids travel? Ah, oh, you know, we got really lucky. So oh, yeah, good. <laughs> no, that, that is the million dollar question. Um, because historically any trip that far, like our daughter's fine. Like she's the easiest in so many regards. She's so easy, um, to, to be a parent of, but our son is, is not, he's, he's just kind of more cranky and, um, gets a little impatient in, in car rides, but this time mm-hmm. he was relatively fine. Um, you know, for the entire drive there. And then the drive back, it was like the last 45 minutes or so they got a little, little fussy, but yeah, uh, yeah it was nice. It was nice. Oh, good. <laughs> that always makes things a little bit easier. Yeah. 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 So, and so do you have, um, do you go straight into Christmas from here? Kind of what is the, what's the tradition at your house as far as transitioning from Thanksgiving to Christmas? Well, we're, we're the family that was listening to Christmas music on the drive. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we actually did our decorations, uh, last week. Um, so we would get home and kind of the, the house would be ready, uh, and all that stuff. So yeah, I mean, we're, I don't know. My, I think my wife's already got all of her Christmas shopping done. I have what? zero Christmas shopping done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a December 24th kind of guy normally, um, but this year I'm, I'm telling myself I'm going to get it done sooner. We'll see. Um, but yeah, so, so I think we're, we're diving, we're diving right in, um, uh, right away to, to the Christmas season. Kind of love that, like Christmas spirit in the air. Uh, uh-huh. how about you guys? Yeah. So last year was the first year maybe ever that I allowed myself to decorate for Christmas before Thanksgiving. Up to that, I had been a purist. I was like, no Christmas music, no decorations, no buying presents until (laughs) after Thanksgiving. And then last year, just with COVID and everything, I thought, who cares? Like why? Like, I just want to put Christmas decorations up. So we did that last year, this year. Um, I, I should have, I should have put Christmas decorations up earlier, but we have a tradition that every, every year, the weekend after Thanksgiving, we go up into the local mountains, uh, behind our house, like about an hour's drive up into the mountains. And we cut down a Mm. Christmas tree. Mm. I think in a different time of life, I might've felt a little bit guilty about cutting down a live Christmas tree, but the forest right now are just so dry and awful that it almost just feels like you're just cutting down one less tree to burn in a potential Mm. future fire. So anyway, we go, we get our Christmas tree and then we bring it back and we decorate. But this year's a little bit trickier because my husband is having shoulder surgery on Mm. Wednesday. Mm. And so at the same time that I'm trying to accommodate and because our tree is massive, like move all the furniture around for the Christmas tree decorate and kind of arrange things for my husband 
for after he has this surgery, he has to like sleep in a recliner and stuff anyway. Mm. So our house right now literally just looks like it blew up. I mean, there's crap everywhere and the furniture is all wonky. And I had to clean everything out of a closet to get to the Christmas decorations. Like it's so bad. And I just like yesterday after we brought their Christmas tree home, I was like all happy during the day. And then I hit a point where the, you know, I'm trying to pull all this stuff out of the closet and the kids are like, mom, 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 can we decorate? Can we decorate? It's like, we have to put the lights on the tree. And I was just like, I felt like I was overstimulated or something. And I was getting grouchy and yelling at the kids. And my husband's like, is there anything we could do to make you happier? (laughs) I just, I think I have to learn for myself that it was, it was just a lot all at once, all Mm. at once. But, Mm. you know, it, I did have a thought last night though, as I was like hiding away in my, you know, my bedroom while the rest of my family is downstairs, like listening to the Christmas music and happily decorating the tree. I did have this thought, not quite feeling like a hypocrite, but thinking about like, oh, the next day I was going to come on and do this podcast with you. Mm. And just like, you know what? I don't, how do you even like tap into <laughs> you know, into this like deeper presence and consciousness and awareness that we're talking about in the middle of a situation like that. Like it was, it was fine. And I was able to calm down, but I did have that sense of, you know, how exactly does all the stuff that we've been reading and learning about like work when you're really just like right in the midst of life, when your house has blown up and your kids are, you know, clinging to you and needing a thousand different things. And you know, just how, like, I don't know, just, I think with so much of the stuff that we are learning and reading about, there is kind of this image of the guru, like yogi, right? Like peaceful and calm all the time. And that was not me last night. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like when the rubber meets the road, right? I mean, you know, we, we, we see so many of these examples, whether they're books or or videos seminars right where like the the teacher or whomever um mm-hmm. uh, Rupert Spira, Tole, Muji, whichever one of these individuals is, is up on stage and then the, the people are there asking the questions and there's this wisdom flowing and you know finding finding your happiness within and, and all uh-huh. that right? And, and it sounds so great, right? But then when the rubber meets the road and you're actually in those situations, it's an entirely different story, right? Um, which is, uh, you know, it, it may come across as crass, but like, I kind of love that, you know? Like, I, I, I think that, and maybe that's just how I am. I'm a more like learn by doing type of person, but I, I and not that's not to say I don't love learning from books or teachers or whatever, but like it doesn't sink in until I I learn it through going through it. Mm-hmm. So you know, and that's that's where you learn it, right? Is in those moments when like shit hits the fan, right? And <laughs> uh, you know, you've got to find a way. You know, got mm-hmm. to like life is life. You can just be with life, right? But but to still find that presence right mm-hmm. amidst amidst the chaos yeah you so know, what did funny. you find 
when, when, <laughs> when you reflected on that and, and, and all that, like, I guess, what's, what's the takeaway from a, a situation like that? You know, as you were talking, I just had the thought that in the past, I would have felt bad about it, or mm. I would have mm. felt sad that I had ruined this, you know, Hallmark Christmas movie moment of my kids gathered around the Christmas tree. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't, I just, I think that there was an acceptance of like, okay, I need to take a step back and that's fine. And there was, you know, even today, I, I, I talk about it and I remember it, but I don't, I feel no real sense of, of guilt or shame. And I definitely would have held onto that in the past. I would have felt, you know, like I had ruined, I had ruined the moment. Mm -hmm. And I think that is by virtue of just having been practicing this, like letting go of the past and not dwelling on it and not staying attached to it. But I mean, it didn't, I didn't really know what to do in the moment. You know, I was, I was trying to figure out like, how can I overcome this feeling that I had and get back down there with my family? But just the ability, this new ability to accept it and not judge myself for it felt rather new and I don't know, like growth to me. Cause I think before I, I definitely would have felt worse mm. about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. No, that reminds me of um, something that I heard. I was on a podcast. Um, I think it was on Pete Holmes podcast. I've probably told you about his podcast before, but it's, it's, it's probably my favorite. Um, he's like us, uh, in that, like a lot of the same teachers and he's a former evangelical turned into this kind of like way out there spiritual <laughs> person, but he's obviously he's funny. He's a comedian brings on, you know, a lot of famous people. He's actually really tight with Rob Bell, Richard Rohr. Um, so really, really good perspective. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I think he had, it was, it was, um, one of those insight meditation, um, kind of like leaders in the U S so there's like either Sharon Salzberg or Tara Brock, but I think it was Sharon Salzberg, but they were talking about, um, basically that. And I, and they said something that really stuck with me that basically through this sort of call it meditation practice or contemplative practice or, um, uh, introspection, even this, this searching deeper for who we truly are, like getting to the core of who we are, like through those kind of practices, um, it really, really starts to shorten that time. So when, when a bad situation Mm -hmm. arises, whether, whether it's by our own doing, or, you know, someone cuts you off in traffic or someone says something, or for me, it's like, if my boss at work pisses me off, cause he's like, he'll send flippant emails and I'm just like, like it drives me nuts <laughs> sometimes. But, but what they said that really resonated was that, you know, where, whereas it used to maybe ruin your day when something like that happened, mm-hmm. now maybe it ruins 20 minutes. And, right. and that, yes. it's so important because it's not like, okay, now that you're this like more advanced in your spiritual 
growth, it's not like you don't get bothered. I think that's right. so important yes. because sometimes people think, oh, well, I shouldn't be upset about this. I shouldn't be mm. mad. I shouldn't be um, irritable right now, but that's, that, that's not true. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, I love that you, how about you bring that up? Um, because you're right. Like, the first thing was that I have tried to become better about not judging myself and recognizing when I yeah. am judging myself. And then the second thing is that, yeah, that time of like feeling bad about, you know, something that I had done or didn't do or whatever, or however I felt was shortened for, was shortened for sure. So I think that's a good, I think that's a good point. And, you know, it's funny because now I can, now that I've become aware of just how often we judge ourselves and how that just, it sort of like digs you even deeper into a hole, right? Um, I see it everywhere. I see it so much in my kids. You know, I see it in some things that my husband says. I see it in myself more. And I, I've been practicing over this last year, really catching myself when I do that. I'm like, oh, you know, anytime, right? Like people say, anytime that you use the word should, that's an instant trigger that you're judging yourself. Oh, I shouldn't feel this way. Shooting Don't, all over yourself. Yes, shooting all over <laughs> yourself. Exactly. Um, and so I try to I try to listen to myself and and pay attention and and question it. I mean, right? That's part of this practice too, is is questioning everything. Well, why why do you think that you should feel bad? Or or mm. why do you think why do you think you mm. shouldn't feel bad? You know, what's wrong with you feeling bad? What's you know, what's wrong with you feeling good about something or, you know, whatever the situation is just that I've been trying to see those moments of judgment as a way of going even deeper, you know, into the self-inquiry process if I, if I need to. Um, and sometimes I don't, sometimes I don't have to go deep into it. It's just like, you know what, just let it go. Like, I don't have to know why I was feeling guilty, just let go of the guilt and just be here, be here doing whatever you're doing, <laughs> like scrolling mindlessly on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. It's like, be here, notice where you are, notice mm. how you're feeling and accept that. That's mm. like the fastest way to moving on and getting over something, right? The more mm. that you like, oh, I should do this. Or like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so bad. You're just perpetuating the challenge that you're in, in the moment. Just let it go. and and work towards that acceptance that has been like, that's been really helpful for me. Yeah. 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 One of my, uh, favorite, like, I guess, short quotes, I think it's a union saying, but what you resist persists, what you accept transforms. Mm. Oh, I hadn't um, heard that second part. So say yeah. it again. Uh, what you exist, what you resist persists, what you accept transforms. Um, and I think you could almost sum up the human condition with that, right? (laughs) And and that's maybe being a little bit hyperbolic, but you know, so much of what we do is, could be summed up as resistance, right? Mm -hmm. Resisting something, you know, what, what Eckhart Tolle talks about, um, is, is that we resist the now, right? We resist what is Right. right now in favor of 
probably what's going on in our mind, whether, and it's, it's almost always the past or the future, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which could very often be the past because, um, you know, beating ourselves up or, or ruminating on something or about a, a past relationship or, you know, the whole uh, thing about, you know, thinking about an old argument while you're in the shower and coming up with all the things you wish you would have said, like, you know, right. that, that is fundamentally resisting the now, whereas, um, you know, you, you're, you're in the shower, like maybe just experience being in the shower in that moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or in the other case, it's like what you said about like, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that. Um, and then you kind of start beating yourself up about not doing what you think you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, that second part of the, the saying is what you accept, then it transforms you. And, you know, how, again, going back to Tole, what he would say is you're, you're bringing consciousness to your, your, your life situation, which transmutes it into more consciousness. So it's mm-hmm. like this snowball effect of consciousness that the simple act of accepting something that is, is bringing consciousness to it. And it is kind of easing it just in the act of doing it. Um, Mm, And that I I think it all boils back to presence is just being present and observing what it is, not over judging it, not criticizing it, not overanalyzing, but just being like, "Hmm, there it is. And just letting it go. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's so, it sounds so simple, right? (laughs) It sounds so simple. And yet, you know, when you're in those moments, it's, it's definitely not right. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, so it's funny. I feel like my whole understanding around being present has shifted so much as I glean different things from various teachers. I used to think like whenever people be like, oh, you know, just be present. I used to think that it meant more of like a sacrifice, like, you know, cause people always say like, Oh, just be present with your children, be present with your children. And as a mom, you're like, Oh my God, I have so many other things that I need to be doing right now. I really do not want to be playing cars or whatever. And I always thought that being present was this sacrifice that I had to make of like setting aside my feelings and all the things I needed to be doing in order to give all of my attention to my kids in that particular example. And it was really hard and I really didn't want to do it. And over this last year, I feel like some people have come along who I've, you know, listened to and learned from. And like, I was reading a book. um, It was some sort of a, like a almost like a daily little devotional thing. these little excerpts from Thich Nhat Hanh. Is that how you say his name? Yep. And it was all this like being present, you know, talking about, about presence. And he really helped me to see that it was more about noticing and like just paying attention, like being mindful of where your attention was. I know you've been talking about this a little bit lately. Um, and then I was able to like, okay, that's interesting. Like, it's not so much this sacrifice of 
myself, but it can also just be noticing where you are, you know, just stopping for a moment and being like, okay, what do I hear? What am I touching? What am I seeing? You know, that kind of thing. And Cynthia Borgelt in um, this wisdom class of hers that I was, that I was doing, she had a funny thing. She would, she would always ask the question, where are your feet? Hmm. Because she would say a lot of times, especially for us Americans, we tend to get really caught up in our head. And so we have all of these thoughts going on. And then she'd be like, where are your feet? Mm. Like take a minute to just notice where you are because we're living in our heads. And that to me, just a little phrase for like, where are your feet has been really helpful. She, um, I don't think it was Cynthia. There was another teacher that I, somebody I'd been listening to, and they would always say this thing of like, there are no problems there are no problems. And I kept trying to figure out like, what does that mean? But then one thing I noticed, I started having this mantra for myself, just saying in this moment, there are no problems. And it's funny because it really did make me realize that I was experiencing so much conflict and chaos by either being in the past or projecting into the future. But when I actually stopped and was like, in this moment, there are no problems. I'm like, actually, in this moment, there are no problems. In this moment, I am totally okay. I'm perfectly fine. Yes, there are things that I might have to take care of in the future, or you know, I might have to deal with a consequence of something that happened in the past. But right now, in this moment, I'm totally fine. And it was... I don't know. So that's been interesting. And then of course, like Tolle, you know, the very first line in the, his book, the power of now is I have no more use. I have no use for the past. Mm -hmm. And that line caught my attention and it just hit me over the head of like, what would, what would my life look like if I really did have no use for the past? And that's when I really started the process of trying to let go of everything that had just happened. Conversations, just let it go. Mm -hmm. Where did, where did you, like, when would you say, or how, how would you say that your understanding of presence has developed? Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been, man, it's, it's interesting. I, I don't know that I could adequately describe how much it's shifted even in the last couple of months. Um, because it's just, it's come, become so elevated. Actually, I think it's probably from getting back into the power of now. <laughs> so oh, I've really? read it. Yeah. I've read power of now. It's actually kind of a neat, neat, uh, part of my story. So I first started reading power of now. Hold on. Where is it? I think it's in a different room, but I, I, uh, I have this tendency, especially when I know a book is really good. I'll like writing it like all right i started reading it on this date first read second read third read and i'll start like oh that's a good idea <laughs> well except for we have no use for the past as, as <laughs> <that's true>. <laughs> but and, anyway uh <laughs> there there we go uh, putting this into practice doesn't always work <laughs> realistically anyway um so i first started reading it shout out to uh uh my my old colleague doug hardyick uh hardyick that's how he say his name. If he ever happens to listen to this, which is unlikely, but you never know. Uh, he introduced <laughs> me to the book and this was probably 2013. 
so eight years ago. Um, and he, you know, totally non-religious, uh, context. I mean, we were coworkers for public accounting firm. We were traveling together. And uh, so this is the context. He introduced me to the power of now. And he introduced me to some book about picking up women. So (laughs) very, very different, but, um, it was actually good timing because I had just like found meditation right around that time. Um, and so I, I started reading it and it was interesting, right. Um, didn't get through all of it. And then I, you know, over the years then kind of went back to it, um, uh, in different seasons and it always, it spoke to me differently in each season. Um, and, and, uh, especially once I got more into, uh, evangelical Christianity, like I, it's interesting. I was never so far into the more call it like conservative rigid, uh, Christianity where I like, I would have like put cast out, um, totally right, the as, new like, age some, teachers. <laughs> yeah. I was always curious about it. Um, I would try to reconcile, right. I'm like, Oh, here's what he's talking about. Here's how Jesus plays right. into this. Um, anyway. Um, and then, uh, so then I read it after I had my mystical experience, I was like, Whoa, like I see what he's saying here. So it's kind of been this theme. And I use that book just because that's, it's been like a hallmark, but there's been yeah. other ways. But then lately I just started reading this a few months ago, probably now with uh, a group of, of guys that we meet every Saturday morning. And it has just been like illuminating to me, like the, the reality of it. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to use the word truth because w- when you were talking, that's what came to mind is this word truth, because what you're saying, that is truth. Right. And, and now we come from a background where it's like truth is, uh, probably not so much mm-hmm. truth. Cause now we're in a place where like, yeah, I don't think that's true. You know what I mean? There, there's just this <laughs> right. debate, but you can't debate what you, what you said experientially is like, do I have any problem right now? No. Ah, that's it. Yes. You know, like I'm pausing yeah. even right now, even right now, after saying all that, I pause and like, ah, ah, I have no problems. And that is truth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like to me, that is what it's all about is finding that place of stillness and peace and being there. That's it. That's mm-hmm. life. Ah, it's getting me all excited because it's just such a, it's such a beautiful place to be and it's available anytime. So then going back to our, our evangelical words, right? That is the good news, right? That mm-hmm. the, the fact that like, it's available right now, anytime. Um, and you just have to bring your attention there. So, so that's, I think one of the good things you touched on is like one of those ways to do it is just asking those questions, right. Mm -hmm. As do I have any problems right now can be so significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The power of now is really good. We should talk about that more. (laughs) I could talk about it. (laughs) You know, it's funny as as before, before we met, uh, before we connected today, I, 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 I'm, I'm nerding myself here, but, um, what I started to do in this, you know, this, this read, this is probably my fourth or fifth or sixth read now. Um, I've started to take a little note, uh, sentence or two at the top of each page. And then I put that note in a document and then I can go back and read like a chapter summary. Cause it's just like uh. a different note from each page. And so it's like, 
here's what the chapter was all about. So anyway, I was reading that before we connected to him. I'm like, hmm, you know, what what will what will arise from what I'm reading here? And it's just like, ah, oh, it's so much. I I just love it. I think I think really it's a book that I will like probably keep going back to maybe maybe yearly or more like for the rest mm-hmm. of my life because it's just so there's so much rich rich wisdom and truth in it mm-hmm. yeah the the concept of being in in the now and really living in the now has definitely been one of the more transformative practices that i have experience since leaving evangelicalism. And it's funny because at times I don't even, I don't, now I don't know that I could look back and even realize how much of a difference it would make and how many just little insights have arisen from it. You know, I think it's in the power of now and other books too, but you know, this, this idea of not being attached to the past and just really like letting everything go and not projecting into the future. It just, you realize that there's so much peace available when you're not doing either of those things. But I realized for myself how, how often I would think that I was like in the moment, but I, but I wasn't like how much of our lives really truly are lived in the past rehashing or rethinking about something or project, you know, projecting into, into the future. And with that, I realized that there is a strange sort of grief or discomfort that comes from letting go of those activities. You know, if you're not constantly thinking about the past, which I think we've been trained to do, and if you're not projecting into the future, which we've also been trained to do, there can be this weird sense of like, well, what am I supposed to do? Or like, oh, I'm not, but I'm not preparing. I, you know, I'm, I mean, cause there's so much like fear and anticipation caught up in future stuff. And also all sorts of emotions caught up in the past. You can have this sense that kind of like being lost. And, you know, some people talk about like feeling empty if they're not doing those things, that it's really uncomfortable. And so I noticed that, that strange discomfort of not doing those things, like trying to train myself back out of that habit. And also that, um, that you, you recognize your addiction to the drama, like, cause there is, and I guess maybe that's part of the, that's part of the grief or the discomfort is that, you know, whatever you're reliving the past, you are creating the drama because the past is done. Like it, it's over with, but you can tell yourself all these stories about what happened, or you can project in the future and you can make up a whole story about the future. And there's this, this like, uh, like, uh, what's the right word? Um, even though people will say like, oh, I don't like, I don't like the drama. I don't want the drama. You really do. I think we as humans really like that drama. It gives us a role. It gives us a, you know, a sense of purpose. And when you let go of all the drama and you let go of all of that, like back and forth into the past and in the future, 
it's kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of, there's like a strange, I don't know. There's a strange emptiness, sadness, something there that takes a little while to kind of get used to. Did you, did you feel that at all? Hmm. Or is this like a male, female? (laughs) So it's interesting, like me, um, Hmm. I, I've, I don't know. I, it, it's hard to say because my, my, my own like development into being more present, more conscious, like further integrating my spiritual being. Um, it's been so all over the place. <laughs> so uh-huh. it's hard to like pinpoint, um, you know, like a real black and white thing and and i'm i'm lucky truly that like a lot of my big shifts have been like oh, like satori you familiar with the word satori Mm-mm. um it's, it's like another word for spiritual awakening or like sudden spontaneous enlightenment um but i've had like a handful of those moments truly um probably like four or five uh over the last seven or eight years and each one of those experiences has been like whoa like a wake-up call and like I've had a big shift so just kind of like integrated into a new way of being um through those experiences um and anyway but to to go back to it though the word that um really comes to mind for that and and what I actually think is at the heart of the the biblical gospel accounts is um die before you die you know it's Mm -hmm. a death it really Mm -hmm. is that you know we we build this identity around all that stuff you're talking about the the drama the Mm -hmm. you know we have an identity of fear you know i've heard of um covid identity have you heard about this that that Mm -hmm. people have kind of over the last goodness now 18 19 20 months um have built an identity around covid and therefore there's a resistance to move on from covid because so many people have now built their identity around it identity around like being more precautionary and and more fearful and not that those are inherently bad things but to build our identity into them isn't a good thing and so there's all these things that we we attach onto as like, this is me, right? Even if it's subconsciously, but, but so when that happens, it, a death is necessary Mm -hmm. is, is what I found. So that's why, yeah. I mean, like when Jesus says, you know, lose your life in order to gain Mm -hmm. life, like it sounds so paradoxical, but when you understand this, these teachings of, um, pointing to presence, you get it. <laughs> it yes. suddenly makes sense. Like I know exactly what he was saying. And may, maybe mm-hmm. I'm wrong because I mean many people would disagree with that. But I think that's what he was getting at is is be here now. Forget mm-hmm. about your past, forget about the future and just be here. And there's a death there, right? hmm Absolutely. And yeah, that brings up so much stuff. Um <laughs> Yeah, it definitely felt like at that, by the point, by the time that I'd gotten to that point with this presence 
practice, it felt like a smaller death, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, than yeah. um, other things I had gone through. But it definitely, it definitely was because there's there is an attachment to the past, and in our society, you can really feel like a freak or a jerk or just totally wrong or unkind. I mean, there's all sorts of words that I can think of. If you view life that way, you know, because the rest of society, they are very attached to the past and they want, you know, they want other people to be, to be the same that they are. And, you know, just people's habit is to remember a conversation and to rehash it. And especially amongst like a group of friends or something, right. You have an event occurs and everybody tells a story about that event or rehashes the conversation. And if you're the person that's like, I, it's just not even important to me anymore. It can feel really hard to take that position and to let that position be known and not for the sake of making yourself look better, but I mean, I know even you and I, we've had conversations um, with the other podcast episodes and I walk away and I just completely walk away and I hardly even think about it anymore. And I'm like, you know, I can't even really remember what I said (laughs) and just letting, letting that go or, you know, arguments with a spouse or something, but, but taking that stand of not looking back to the, to the past and going into the future. It is a death for yourself, but it's also a recognition that you're taking a very different stance from the rest of society. And I know for, for many people, right, there's a consequence, there's consequences to living this way and just living it out in your, in your everyday. I do like what you said about like bringing Jesus into it, because I do think that if you if you imagine him as personifying this beyond consciousness that he's speaking from that place and not from himself as a human, when he comes out and says things like the kingdom of heaven is here, it's like, it's here. It's here in this very moment. It's not 10 years from now. It's right here in the moment. That is where the peace is to be found but it's such a radical way to live. I think that, and like I was saying, there's even that resistance of like, what does it mean to live this way? But once you get over that resistance, it's so freeing. It's so freeing to not be burdened and weighed down by all of these other experiences, but just to be like, well, right now is a new moment. It's a new, it's a new day. It's a new moment being here. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, going back to, to Tolle and the power of now, I mean, he is, he does not mince words. Um, and, and he says uh, several different times, like the present moment is all you ever have. It's all that actually exists. And, and he is also very clear that these kind of things can't really be understood in the mind. And that has been a powerful realization for me that the mind very very powerful tool but we are not our minds Mm -hmm. um all it takes is 
to meditate for a little while and you realize like you're not your mind you mm-hmm. watch your mind you you see your mind but but you are not it and the mind is almost like imagine the mind is this this race car and it and it has a few different sources of fuel um one is time you know past and future um that fuels the the way that the mind operates and the moment that you take away past and future the mind is like what 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 am i supposed to do now mm-hmm. um and, and problems right uh, problems I, I i consider myself a like problem solver is like one of my uh main things it's what you know helps me get by with work it's like give me a problem and i can figure it out right um or i should say my mind can figure it out <laughs> but um uh, but yeah, so, so that's what Tolly says. It's so, so clear that like, you know, the present moment is all that ever really exists. It's all that actually exists. Everything else is just happening in your mind. So obviously the mind is not going to be able to wrap its head or, or <laughs> the mind is not going to be able to wrap. <laughs> it's, it's hard to even put this into words, right? But the mind is not going to be able to wrap around that concept because mm-hmm. it's something that truly transcends um, what can be understood with mind. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that's the limitation, especially, um, in our culture, right. In the West, um, even our religions are very mind-based, right. Mm -hmm. There is not Mm -hmm. a lot of, um, letting go of, of our, our mental, even though it seems like it, like one of the deconstruction kind of like memes is, uh, checking your, your brain at the door when, when right. it comes to yeah. some of the theology there, but they're still very rooted in mind activity. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the most uncomfortable things, even for people like us um, that, that are, have really steeped in this for a while, um, struggle to let mm-hmm. go of mind. And, and I say that as myself, like, you know, I, I get it intellectually. Um, I seek it. But actually doing it is a completely different story to just uh, really let it go and, and try to be here without mind uh, in some way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. It's funny. There was a, a video by that, uh, that guru Moji and he is telling the, cause the, the questioner is saying something like, how do I, you know, how do I let go of my, of the mind? And he's like, just imagine yourself as two eyeballs like floating around in space. He's like, just be the observer. Just look at everything, but don't let the mind, you know, come to conclusions to see yourself as these two eyeballs. It's kind of funny. Um, I think, you know, I have a, I feel like I'm just kind of coming to a deeper understanding of what that of what that means, because on the surface, on the surface, I think there's a little bit of fear, probably some from my deconstruction background, um, is that, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot. And whenever you say, let go of your mind, you know, get beyond the mind, there can sort of be this sense of, well, I don't, I don't want to set my mind aside because I, and, and I mean, a lot of it is ego-driven too, of course, but there's a sense of like, I, I pride myself on being a smart person. 
I think about things and I don't just want to, again, accept some sort of teaching at face value, right? I want to always go into it with a, with a very critical eye as to, you know, what exactly is this? And so, but, but of course, with what we're talking about, we're not saying set aside your intellectual nature. I mean, there's, my kids are, my kids are, are sneaking in. Um, there's, uh, he just wants to hear you, know, you talk about uh, all this guru, guru enlightenment talk. Apparently. Um, but there's, there's this, I, so you can be the smartest person in the world and still recognize that your mind has limits, like that your mind is limited by its, by its experiences and it's limited by the available knowledge. I mean, we would never say that somebody like Einstein or Archimedes was stupid, but they were limited by their knowledge. They didn't know about all the things that we, that we know about now. They couldn't have conceived the things that science and technology has brought about now. And so I think now I'm understanding like, okay, whenever they say, you know, let your mind be the tool, they mean use it for what it's really good at, for how it's so good at accumulating this knowledge that we have and working with that content, but recognize that there is still some aspect of you that is the observer that is watching that and is not your mind. So there's these, these truths, these, this presence there that is beyond your mind. So let go of your mind because your mind can't understand what that, what that is. So separate your mind as the tool for working with all of this, you know, like day-to-day knowledge and allow the presence to be the, the receptor, like the perpetuator of the awareness that is beyond your mind. So I'm starting to understand that, like, let go of your mind, that it's not saying don't think critically about things. Mm-hmm. It just is recognizing that the mind is also limited. Oh, well, and yeah, I think, and, and recognize that you are not the mind, that the mind is a, a tool mm-hmm. for who you are. You know, something is, is arising as, as you share that is um, kind of this dichotomy almost, but a good, in a good way of saying, you know, look, this spiritual practice, this esoteric, this consciousness type of lingo that we we talk about here and you know we we meditate and we seek stillness and transcendent moments um you know it's almost like i'm seeing that as a way of connecting with our higher self right um and in a way of of then making everything else run better if that makes sense so it's almost like we're we're finding that that peace and that point of stillness and rest maybe that's the best word here mm, we're finding mm-hmm. rest 
So we're giving our mind a rest (laughs) because our mind is the most powerful tool. Well, our body is probably the most powerful tool we have, but then our mind is maybe they're the same (laughs) in terms of their, their significance. But, 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 but we're giving them a rest. And then when we get to points of using them, they're that much better. Right. And that's kind of paradoxical. Like, mm. you know, some, some might say, well, you've got to use your mind in order to, to, per, to make it more effective. And I think that that's true, but I'm just getting this sense that when we give ourselves rest and then we go back to the mind, not only ha- is it a little bit more calm, but I think from a place of presence, the mind is even more effective because then the mind is just focused on the objective at hand. If even if whatever, whether that's like you said, critical thinking, like, is this teaching legit? Huh? Like, let me, let me process this. Let me wrestle with this, but you're present with it, right? Mm, You're not coming mm -hmm. from a place of scatterbrained or Mm -hmm. anxiety or um, projecting or whatever you're present with it. Um, and then I think your, your mind becomes even more effective at what Mm -hmm. it's doing. Um, so I think that's kind of a neat, like, and that's not really talked about much, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I follow, you know, spiritual teachers, gurus all the time, right? Maybe more than I should. Um, (laughs) but I love it, but they don't talk much about like that functionality of like, okay, how do you then go and, I'm an accountant, you know, like it's, it's, it's a kind of a boring job for the most part, but there's plenty of times where I, I really have to use my mind and there isn't much talk about like, oh, well, here's something that these spiritual practices can, can do to benefit that type of work. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you, that you say that I had an experience this summer where I had a couple irons in the fire. Like I was doing you know, I was, I was being pretty productive and I was trying really hard to make some things happen with my website and with the coaching business. And I just had a bunch of the different things going on. And I was feeling this, this sense that I needed to let, that I needed to let it all go. And I was very resistant to, it because I was like, no, but this feels like the thing that I should be doing. Like, and I just kept feeling, you need to let it go. Like you need to just let it all go. And so finally, after about a month or so resisting, I was like, all right, I've, I'm learning. <laughs> I need to just follow this. So I did as much as I could to kind of shut everything down. And more importantly, from like an emotional, mental perspective, I, I let it all go. I was like, all right, I'm like, I'm done. I'm stepping away. And what was funny was that afterwards there came this sense of, of peace. And what I realized took me a little bit of time to realize this, but I realized that if I want to come at life from a place of peace, I have to first know what peace feels like. Mm. And when I was in that mindset of trying to make all of this stuff happen, I was not coming from a place of peace. I was coming from a place of desperation, anxiousness, like exaggerated hope. And it was not from peace. And I was so caught up in what I was wanting to do that I could not have a clear vision for it, or I could not have a clear sense of what was happening with it. And so 
taking the step back, it really taught me kind of like what you're saying, like it really allowed my mind to rest and to see where I was acting from a place of fear or where I was acting from a sense of lack. And it just, it was this revelation for me of like, wow, I need to know, I need to reset my baseline, which I think is kind of almost what, what you're talking about in a sense that, you know, meditation it and, you know, being, getting to that still space resets your baseline because before my baseline was this, you know, like high level anxiousness. I got it. You know, I got to push, I got to push to make things happen. And that's what my baseline was. And now I've reset it. And so I can sense any time that I move away from that place of peace or stillness, I'm like, Oh, what's going on? Like I need to, you know, I need to come back. Um, mm. and I, I feel like that is one of the huge, huge benefits and that it's, that is what meditation does for sure is gives your mind a rest. But I also feel like the practice of contemplation does that too. Um, you know, even, and I think that's why a lot of the teachers say to go out in nature, you know, like go out in nature and just sit and stare at an ant, sit and stare at an ant for an hour and watch what it does or watch the grass grow. And even though you're, even though you're giving your mind something to focus on, it's, you're making it take a break from all of the other things that you're worried about, all of the other just the thoughts that are going on because all of your attention has, you know, uh, like been magnified onto this one little thing. It's kind of similar. Mm. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in regards to contemplation and whether it's, you know, yeah, nature, let's just use that example. Um, but it could be like a loving kindness type of thing too. Mm -hmm. Um, could be many things. Um, let's, let's just use the word beauty. Um, because something that I've found is that when I'm in my, let's just call them peak experiences. Um, I say the word beautiful a lot. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Good to know. Good to know. Yeah. So if I start saying beautiful a lot, in, in our conversations here, know that I'm probably in a good place. Um, and if I'm not saying beautiful a lot, which I don't, I think that's my first time saying it. So maybe that tells you, uh, anyway, but, um, and here's the thing that I've found experientially about beauty and, and I've, I've read it in a few different places. And it actually something I first heard from Richard Rohr years ago. Well, yeah, probably three years ago now, but it's this idea that basically beauty cannot be recognized from a place of mind. Um, beauty is recognized mm. from just the pure state of being and observation. So as an example of the ant, which I love that idea. I, I, again, when I'm in a good place, I can be in nature and just watch the birds, watch a caterpillar. I did that once I was out, I was at work out on a walk and I just saw this caterpillar and I just stopped and I just looked at it. And I'm like, Oh, this is amazing. This is beautiful. Um, but one thing that, that you notice is that you're not sitting there saying, oh, well, this is a, this ant is uh, about maybe 
three millimeters long and it's got six legs and it's red or it's black. Um, it's surrounded by other answers. You don't like analyze it. You don't, um, you're not judging it. You're mm-hmm. just, mm-hmm. you're just observing it. And in that place, it's like, again, your mind takes the back seat and you're just pure awareness. And, and that's the beauty of it because here, I think we find that pure awareness as, as Rupert Spira, Rupert Spira has helped me see this maybe more than anybody else is that in that place of stillness, that like peace, joy, happiness, love is there. It's not mm-hmm. manufactured. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And so to access it is really just a matter of getting the other stuff out of the way. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. so when our mind becomes quiet enough, meaning we're, we're just contemplating the ant for 20 minutes or whatever, uh, you know, then that those things come through, you know, they, they mm-hmm. start to shine. And then we're just like, it, just the simplicity of an ant. We're like, ah, oh, it's beautiful. This is exactly <laughs> as it's supposed to be. And you're mm-hmm. in the present moment. Oh man. I'm just like thinking about Grant. I'm in my mind thinking about it, but um, just how, how I know that that is, can be such beautiful moments. Just, yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, you know, fits in <laughs> nicely with what we were saying earlier about when you're in a moment like that, if you're outside staring at an ant, it is one of those things where you can say in this moment, there are no problems. Mm-hmm. Like fully, fully here, there are no problems. But you said, and maybe I don't remember where it came from. I feel like we talked about it over messenger. Um, someone was saying how whenever we look at something that it's our awareness or like our total presence there that causes a thing to look so beautiful to us. And I remember thinking that it was interesting that, that it was this idea that it's coming from inside of us. And, you know, it's interesting because that sort of explains why sometimes you can go outside to get the mail or whatever, and it's the sunset and you don't even notice because you're so just wrapped up in whatever you're thinking about or doing. But then other times you can go outside and you can look at the sunset and just be totally overwhelmed with awe. And we want to say that the beauty is coming from outside of ourselves when really it's not that the beauty is there because we are fully aware. It's almost like it's our awareness that is tinging the sky with glory. And I thought that was really powerful for me, especially because there are times when I want something to you know, I want something to appeal to me, right? Or like you're looking for something. I mean, it could even just be like clothes or a car or whatever, but you're looking for an experience. And even it's almost just like the act of constantly looking that your attention is on the seeking and not on really truly observing something. 
that causes the problem. That if you were really to look at something, you would find, if you were really to be aware in every moment, you could find beauty in anything because it's all about where your awareness is and how tuned in you are in a moment, as opposed to a thing itself, like naturally being beautiful, even though I think that can happen too. Anyway, I don't, I don't remember where that came from, but I thought it was. Yeah. I've heard a similar, definitely a similar concept before, but, but I think something interesting is coming into play here. Um, is this idea of, like you mentioned earlier, the shoulds coming in, in into mm-hmm. our experience? Because, you know, it sounds like we, sh- we should find beauty because it's within us. Um, mm-hmm. And to be clear, like, I do think that. <laughs> I do think we should be finding <laughs> beauty. But, but the, there, there is that interplay there that, like, we, we, we don't want to put that pressure to say well i'm looking at this tree i should be thinking this tree is beautiful what's going Mm -hmm. on you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. um because that is that's mind projection right Mm -hmm. that's that's projecting something that is not now Mm -hmm. um so it's it is again it's one of those things that like it's so simple yet it's not easy right Mm -hmm. it's so simple to sit there and observe something in nature and just look at it and see what happens. Mm -hmm. But in actuality, like there's maybe a thousand thoughts that are coming and pressure that you may be putting on yourself. So Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just, it, 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 I always find myself coming back to the fact of like, this is like so simple, but yet so complex at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that there are times when maybe it feels a little bit like, looking in the mirror, Mm. you know, after you've seen yourself a thousand times, you no longer like hardly even notice Mm. what your face looks like. Mm. Right. And that nature, I mean, in a way I kind of think of it like that, that there, you know, sometimes there's no excitement over looking at a rock or tree or even being in a beautiful location Mm. and feeling nothing like, yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty, but I don't feel like this overwhelmed sense of awe or whatever. And that Mm. to me is one, because I think I'm finally settling into this idea that I'm at home everywhere. Like literally (laughs) that's how it's starting to feel now is that there is, is no longer that sense of drama, right? Because I haven't anticipated how beautiful something might be like that. There's that anywhere I go, I'm just going to feel this sense of being at home because it is, it is, it is my home. Everywhere is my home. And that being in nature can sometimes feel like that. Just that it's like looking in a mirror. I've seen it all and it's still objectively nice, but I'm not feeling any, anything arising in the moment I did. So something that you said, and this idea of the mirror made me think of a thought of something that I was thinking about with um watching like copious amounts of TikTok videos last night as I was sitting in my room feeling all like angsty or whatever. I had this sense that as I was like going through all these TikTok videos, which you know sometimes are like people looking at the camera while there's a voiceover happening. 
And the TikTok video is literally just the person's face responding, like their reaction to what's going on in the voiceover. I had this sense that with social media, that we're all talking to ourselves. That when Mm. someone is looking at their phone Mm. and recording their video, that they're, and they're putting it out there to the world. And in their mind, they're thinking, I'm putting, this is me, a separate person, putting this out there for other people to view and comment on. But in reality, all we're doing is it's the individual self talking to the like collective self, not knowing that they're one and the same. I said this really bizarre, bizarre thought about that, about how we are all just mirroring each other. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. It It was odd. You mean, so like in the way of call it like unitive consciousness, oneness, where it's like, you know, you and me are like essences of God, so to speak, or whatever consciousness, whatever, you know, higher level language we want to apply to it. Um, And that we are all that essence communicating with itself. Is that, is that what you're, you're getting at with that? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, like this is entertainment for this higher level of consciousness. It's like you and I are having, we're essences of the same thing, having a conversation about ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I, uh, I love, I mean, that, that I love that. I, I think that for sure. Um, and going back to Tole, and this isn't really a Toleism, but it's just, uh, something that I just read in this book, he talks about Leela, which is, I don't know what book it's from, but it's, it's from one of the Hindu sacred texts. And it's this idea, exactly what we're talking about. I mean, th- this is an idea that goes back thousands of years that, you know, that our existence is just a game being played by mm. gods is, is really mm-hmm. the Leela. And which is, it's interesting to ponder that, but, but where Tole takes it that I think is much more um, practical. That's what's good about his teachings and power of now is he talks about, and we may have touched on this last week. I can't remember, um, but he talks about inner purpose and outer purpose Mm. and that um, maybe he says external purpose, but nonetheless, the same idea. Um, the inner purpose, well, let me start with outer purpose, actually. Outer purpose is like everything that we experience. So like you and me talking right now, that's an outer purpose thing. We want to have this good conversation talk about our presence and uh, other things that we're experiencing and how integrating it and all that. Um, tomorrow I'm going to wake up and go to my job and do that and and get paid to be able to support my family. And, you know, you're going to, um, homeschool your kids and, and go through all that next week. Um, you know, the, the world keeps on ticking all that. That's all outer purpose stuff. And what Tole says is spot on is that, you know, we are all so focused and invested in our outer purpose that we kind of neglect the inner purpose. Mm-hmm. When in reality, once we figure out the inner purpose, the outer purpose just becomes a game. 
It becomes mm. a game to be done with ease and lightness and not, you know, obviously there's, there's suffering, there's pain, there's all this kind of dis- uncomfortable things that happen in the world. We can't deny that. But when we come from the place of a true realization of our inner purpose, which is kind of understanding more who you are, <laughs> right? Like to yeah. go back to the conversation from last week, everything else just kind of, kind of comes as like, hmm, it's just, it's just a, an appearance that is happening um, within who I am, which is consciousness, which is experience right now. Um, and it's such a subtle yet powerful shift in, in perspective because suddenly it's like all right well I am I am the one that is unfolding infinitely um that can't even really be put into words Mm -hmm. and everything else is just part of that Mm -hmm. oh man it it, yeah that's that's something that I can't can't say that I've fully wrapped my head around and fully Mm -hmm. embraced but I'm getting closer and closer to being like, yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. But the beautiful thing is that the only thing we have to do or should do, if there's one should, it's this, it's just <laughs> be, it's just be here. That's it. Just yeah. be present because it's all unfolding right now. It's not unfolding in the future. It's not unfolding in the past. It's right now. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the, the helpful part, right? Because this can be so, it can seem so grandiose, but the reality is all we need to do is be present to whatever is happening. Even if it sucks, even if mm-hmm. like your experience the other night with um, just being really like overstimulated and, and emotionally charged, like that's part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then, you, and then you get to the point of not judging anymore. Uh, well, not, not judging not <laughs> at all, but less, right. Less, yes, less, less yeah. Because you're like, Oh, this is just part of it. Right. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that's where this stuff comes, becomes really valuable. So for you, what do you do that? Like, what are some of your, like your presence practices? Like, how do you get to that? Or how do you, you know, keep yourself in the now? Like, do you, what do you do to sort of retain that sense of, of now or did you practice in the past in order to kind of make it more of a habit? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I like the idea of short circuiting. Uh, have you ever heard that when it comes to presence? Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like short circuit the thoughts that are arising um, because, you know, without fail, it's thoughts that are bringing us out of the now. Mm-hmm. Um because really, I mean, not that we can't be thinking and present at the same time, but more often than not, thoughts are what takes us out of it. So short circuiting is like finding these ways to short circuit your thoughts, your wandering thoughts. So um, sometimes that can be those questions that we talked about, like, is, is everything okay right now? Do I have any problems right now? Um, one that I kind of like is, is what am I thinking about right now? Because then it immediately like kind of mm. catches and again, short circuits those thoughts. Cause it's like, whoop, Oh, I'm paying attention to my thoughts. All right. Got it. Um, the other thing that I find I'm finding exceedingly helpful over time is, um, short circuiting by body awareness. So like you said, with Cynthia Bourgeau, like 
where are my feet? Oh, there they are. That is a short circuiting, right? Mm, Cause you're short circuiting okay. wherever your mind is at. And, um, and then one that Tole does, um, is, is your hands, which I like the hands because again, it's, it's unusual. There's not many like meditation guides that talk about your hands for whatever reason, <laughs> but he's like, he's, he says, uh, are your hands alive right now? And, and, and you can't tell if your hands are alive Uh-oh. unless, unless you really feel them, like maybe move them around a little bit and you bring your attention to your hands. Uh-huh. Um, that's a helpful one. And then the last one I'll say that, uh, is, um, kind of the, the cliche, but very helpful is breath, you know, yeah. focusing on our breath. And, and I found that even in conversations, um, anytime, if I'm watching TV, you know, I drove 10 hours, um, the other day and, uh, um, I was focusing on my breathing a lot right? We were listening to podcasts, listening to the kids, do whatever the heck they were doing. My wife and I are having conversations, but, but a lot of the time I was just focusing on my breath mm-hmm. because I can stay present that way and anchored and yet still be present. If that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. So I found that to be really helpful. And I guess the last thing I'll say, and kind of more the essence of our conversation here is just learning about it, right. Learning about what it, what it means to be present. Um, like reading the power of now and, and these other really, really wise and experienced teachers or conveyors of presence. Um, you know, I think just the more that I learn about it, the more that I, it just happens more naturally, uh, mm-hmm. maybe in ways that I didn't even expect, but I just find that I'm, I'm more in the moment just because I've, I've learned about it. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I, I, I agree with, well, I agree. I think all those things are, <laughs> are awesome. And I can, I can see that I've done, you know, similar, similar things too. One of the things, I think it was Cynthia Bergeau who, who said it about the breath. She suggested to focus on the out breath. Mm. And I thought that was really interesting. And she was talking about whenever you focus on the out breath, you notice that there's a pause at the end of every out breath before you, before you inhale again. And she was talking about the stillness in that pause, mm-hmm. how you're still alive. Like there's no air exchanging in your body at that moment, but you're still alive. And that it sort of is the death of the breath mm-hmm. that before you inhale again, which I thought was was interesting. And just like, like you said, like a unique little twist on the idea of breathing. Something that you said though, about how like you and Liz were having conversation and, you know, the kids are doing their thing and that you're paying attention to some other stuff that's going on, but you're also being present. This was one of the other things about presence that shifted for me was that before I had always thought about presence as far as being present and aware of everything else that was happening. Whereas now I see presence as being present to myself and being present to my own awareness and, and what you were saying, cause I was thinking about how, you know, if, if you're having the, like, if you and your wife are talking and she's talking to you 
and your attention is more tuned in to your breath, that's not a rudeness. You're not ignoring her and not paying attention to the conversation, but there's this, this aspect of you that is tuned into yourself. And I know, um, totally. And I think even, even Rupert Spira talk about it, about keeping like, like light attention or light Mm -hmm. awareness Mm -hmm. on these different things, like a light awareness of where your foot, you know, where your feet Mm -hmm. are, or a light awareness of your breath. You're not totally consumed by it. Like you might be in a meditation because, you know, you're interacting with other people, but that there is still part of you that is very present to yourself that remains tuned into your, into yourself and is not just lost in the mind, the body. And I think that too also seems to be something that is not really like talked about enough is that it's not an all or nothing right? That you can keep a small part of your attention on your breath at all times or and your feet or on your hands while still engaging in whatever else you're, you're doing. Um, I like too what you said about the short circuiting your thoughts. That reminds me there's, uh, so in the cloud of unknowing, which is like a 14th century anonymous author, it's an incredible book, but very hard to read. You know, mm-hmm. he talks about choosing a word in prayer, like a very short word that you re- that you repeat, not as a mantra, but to do that thing, like to short circuit your thoughts. So as you're sitting in meditation and your thoughts are all over the place, you just say be or peace or love or quiet. I mean, in, in the cloud of unknowing, he says the shorter the word, the better, but and like he recommends a one syllable word. Uh, and that's, that's one thing that I do, I guess, that short circuits my thoughts is that like at night, I don't know, my brain, oh my God, my mind is not always a very pleasant place to be, you know, at like two or three o'clock in the morning when you wake up and your mind is just going crazy. And so now as it's going crazy, I just keep saying peace, mm-hmm. peace, like trying my best to interrupt those thoughts and to remind myself that I don't have to run off with them. It's that, it's that short circuiting that you're, that you're doing. So you're practicing something, you know, that people back (laughs) centuries, centuries ago, ago practiced. Well, and that's, you know, um, and I guess maybe to, to, to wrap here that, that is the beauty of this is. and, And when I go back to the word truth, like, there is truth here. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a lot of things out there that, that float around and say, this is truth or that is truth, whatever. But there is truth in the power of being present, the power yes. of now, right? And, um, and it's been around for thousands of years. And, and mm-hmm. so, you know, we go to the teachings of Jesus and, you know, the other sacred texts out there. And, the more that we realize this, the more that we can see it there. So Mm -hmm. am I, am I going to be a theologian and say, Oh, that's, that's what the purpose of the Bible was. No, because I just don't know. And it's Mm -hmm. not important to me because when I read and and understand the spiritual significance of this book, um, not that I read it 
often at all. But but you know, as I recall what I did read mm-hmm. over the years, that's what I that's what arises is this power of like, you know, when Jesus says, um, look at the birds of the air, they have no cares, they're not worried about yes. tomorrow. You know, uh-huh. you know, like that kind of stuff. He's saying, be present, be present. Mm-hmm. Like and, and you know, uh later on in, in the New Testament, do not be anxious about anything. Like mm-hmm. it, it's all this this same kind of directional thing and again to to what you said is this stuff has been being said for thousands of years um and yet here we still are (laughs) with (laughs) with uh you know this this wonderful technology discussing it um and yet you know they were in caves talking about this two thousand years ago i Mm -hmm. think that's such a, a neat part of the human condition and i see it as kind of that leela right that there's this game that is unfolding this this uh uh stage this this play this act i think it was a shakespeare thing like life is a stage or something yeah. like that um and it's just unfolding and there's this constant thread not constant but you know maybe constant there's this thread right that mm-hmm. um continually just return to stillness presence and i see what happens mm-hmm. um, there, there we find peace and contentment Mm -hmm. amen amen dave yeah yeah it's funny we'll have to we'll have to come back to this idea of truth there was um earlier this summer someone from an old church came by and we were talking and i was sharing i wasn't quite deep into this stuff yet but Mm. i was sharing some things with her and at the end she said and she's a christian evangelical christian and she said she asked me she said so do you not believe that there's any absolute truths? Hmm. And at the time I was like, no, I don't really think so. <laughs> and she was so appalled, mm-hmm. so appalled because, you know, for, for evangelical Christianity, this idea of, of there being a truth and, and having it is so essential, but it's funny to me because exactly like what you're saying I, I read this, I read this stuff and I listen, you know, I listen to these other teachings on consciousness and it's like, this just resonates so much and you can see it. Mm. Like once your eyes are open to it, you just see it over and over and over and over again, repeated Mm. all throughout history in different ways and different teachings. And it just feels like one of those things that is that is permanent and and unchanging and revealed all over the place. Mm. And I don't know, is that the definition of a truth? I don't know. We'll have to leave mm. that for another another night. We'll have to leave that for <laughs> another episode. That sounds like a good uh, good transition for next time. Yep. And this cool. planning for the future, but living in the now. I think there is definitely more to be explored there yeah, as well. well. Well, we're so busy living in the now that we won't even we won't even start thinking about what we'll talk about next time until <laughs> until next time. Until next time. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, this has been good. All right. Yep. Been good. Okay. <laughs>